0: let me be the uh, 50th person this morning to wish you Merry Christmas. Uh, But we do hope that you are having and looking forward to a Merry Christmas. I've just been praying for our church a little bit more over this past week that uh, as you gather together with family, as you get together for celebrations, as you open up presents, it's just going to be a time where you can be reminded of the hope of Jesus and that you're able to disconnect for a little bit and and just kind of take some deep breaths and, uh, and find some joy this holiday season. Uh, want to also uh, invite you and, and, and just would love to have you come to one of our Christmas Eve services. Uh, you've already heard about it a couple of times but we've got these cards that are out there. Pick one up as a reminder and invitation. Uh, we have four different services that you can choose from. We have one on December 23rd, uh, which uh, I jokingly refer to as our Christmas Adam service, because Adam came before Eve, and so it's our Christmas Eve Eve service. Yeah, that's the appropriate reaction uh, to, to that cheesy joke right there. Oh, really? Uh, it doesn't get better. Uh, so we have that on the 23rd, 7 o'clock PM. We'd love for you to come out and join us for that one. And then we have uh, three on Christmas Eve, the 24th, 2.30, 4 o'clock and 5.30. And all of this is just to help us set our hearts and our minds on the Christmas story. And when we think about that story, now, oftentimes we think about it beginning in the events that surround the birth of, of Jesus. We think that, you know, the Christmas story starts when the angel appears to Mary and says that, that she is going to be with child, that she's gonna give birth to the Messiah, the savior of the world. That it starts when, when Mary and Joseph uh, kind of uproot and they head down to Bethlehem for the census and, and Mary gives birth there in, in this stable. Jesus laid on the manger. We, we think that maybe the Christmas story, it kind of starts as the angels surround baby Jesus and worship him and all of those things are absolutely a part of the Christmas story. But this is a story that begins long before, long before any of those things ever happen. In fact, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, God's son actually starts all the way back at the beginning in the opening words of scripture. We looked at these words a few months ago as we kicked off core 52. And, and this is what it says. Genesis chapter one, verse one through three It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And right here in the first three verses of scripture, we are introduced to the Trinity. We find the God who creates he is eternal and timeless. He is not bound by the same limits that we are bound to. He is the creator of all things who brings life into the emptiness and chaos into or order into the, the chaos. We find the spirit who hovers and who cares and who protects. He, he hovers over creation and cares for it like an eagle over her newborn. And you have the Son that speaks words of life. And light. He is the living word that brings life and makes all things new. And what we find in the beginning is this God who creates and he cares. He brings order to all of creation. And this God desires, deeply desires a relationship with us. God deeply desires a relationship with you. He makes us in his image. Our lives have value and worth. Your life has value and worth because you are created in the very image of God. We bear his nature and characteristics. And we don't have his abilities, but we have his attributes. We are able to love and create and express because God loves and created and expresses And he made us to be in this deep, loving, intimate relationship with him. And in fact, our souls are most satisfied when we are most satisfied in him and with him. In the Garden of Eden, after all of God's work was was accomplished and finished, God walked amongst his creation, but he walked with his people. He walked with Adam and Eve. And then we get to Genesis 3. And everything changes. all the beauty and all the perfection of god's creation changes. Adam and Eve are tempted. They no, are no longer content with just having the attributes of God. They want his abilities too. They want to be like God. That, that, that was the, 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 the temptation was the, that pride to, to be like God. and their pride led to brokenness in the relationship and. Not just the relationship with each other, but also the relationship with their heavenly father, the one that had always been so close and near and and, and intimate to. And the next time that they heard the Lord walking in the garden, you remember what they did, they they hid. They hid from him because they realized for the first time that they were naked. And, And so that means that for the very first time in their entire existence, they felt shame. The rebellious heart had separated them from God, and they hid from Him. But don't miss this. In, in the very first act of sin, we also see God's very first step towards grace. In that first act of sin, we see God's first step towards grace after dealing with their sin and and removing them from the perfection of Eden. God God doesn't just show judgment in that time. He shows mercy. He shows grace towards them. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Did you see that? God clothed their nakedness he covered their shame and and did you notice what the garments were made of they were made from the hide of an animal don't miss this something had to die to cover Adam and Eve's guilt and sin and shame and the story goes on and we see God's love continue to grow for his people but we also see their sin continued to grow. God makes a promise with Abraham to be his God and for Abraham's family to be God's people. He makes a a covenant with Abraham, a promise to be faithful to him and to his family for all time. And he seals this promise in in blood saying, if this relationship is broken, let my blood be poured out to make it one again. And out of Abraham's family comes the nation of Israel and, and God's love continues to grow for them and, and their sin continues to grow against him. And so God tells Moses to, to do what to do to, to bring that relationship back and to make it right. And one of the things that he introduces is this, this thing called the day of atonement. Day of atonement. And that word atonement is is fascinating. It refers to a debt that someone covers for you. And so you have a debt that you cannot pay. Atonement is when someone comes and says, you know what? I'll cover it for you. I'll pay that debt for you. And when the debt is forgiven, then the relationship between the debtor and the debtee is Restored. And so spiritually speaking, our sin creates a debt that we owe God, a debt that we cannot pay. And until it's dealt with, our relationship with God is broken. And atonement happens when something or someone else pays the price for our sin, when something or someone else covers the price for us so that we can be brought back into right relationship with God again. Another way to remember this word atonement is to break it up into three different words, at one meant. The the debt is paid and we are once again at one with God. In Leviticus 16, God goes into great detail about how the day of atonement is to happen. On the day of atonement, the priest is to take a young bull And two goats with him to the temple. He sacrifices the bull for the atonement of his own sin. And then he does something interesting. The priest casts lots for the two goats. And the goat whose lot is cast for the Lord (laughs) becomes the sacrifice to atone for the sins, to cover up the sins of Israel. The other goat... Becomes the scapegoat. That's the word that Leviticus 16 uses. Becomes the scapegoat. And and the priest, what he does in that moment is he, he lays both of his hands on the scapegoat, on the head of the scapegoat, and symbolically transfers the sins of the people onto the head of this goat. And after that, the scapegoat is released into the wilderness alone to carry away the sins of the people, and so on the day of atonement you have the sacrificed goat that received the punishment for sin that the people deserved and you have the scapegoat that receives the separation from God that our sins create. And after that God and his people are restored. There's an at-oneness to the relationship again. Now can I just pause? One, you all still with me? <laughs> But two, this is weird. <laughs> like it's, I, I, I read, every time I read about sacrifices in the Old Testament, I just think, ah, I'm glad that I don't live in that age anymore. <laughs> and I wonder like, God, why, why that? Like, why was that the method that, that you, you chose for this? I don't understand, I agree with what Mark Moore says in our chapter for this week, if you're going along with the Core 52 book, you'll read him, say this, he says that it seems a little barbaric and archaic, but I also agree with what he says next. He says, however, I'm not sure our earthly evaluation holds much weight, particularly when we're the ones who broke the covenant. (laughs) In other words, who am I to tell God how to deal with my sin, especially when I'm the one that deserves the punishment for it? And so I choose humility rather than critique at how God chooses to deal with our sin and to bring us back into relationship with him. This is the system that God created for a moment, not for all time. And he tells Moses that one will come along even greater than him who will make a sacrifice that will not just cover our guilt, our sin, and our shame, but will completely remove it from us. Meanwhile, in his pursuit of us, God sends prophets to speak for him, priests to represent him to us and us to him. He raises up kings to lead and protect his people, kings like David, who was born in Bethlehem and to whom God made a promise that his kingdom will reign forever, that someone from his lineage will forever sit on his throne throne for all eternity and we get to the prophet Isaiah if you have a Bible or Bible app following along we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 9 in the book of Isaiah we really begin to see God's plan take shape for how he is going to deal with this once and for all we read about god's love for his people his desire to be with them to the extent that he will go to make this happen and we and we learn that somehow this plan inver- involves the birth of a child and telling about the coming messiah isaiah writes this in chapter 9 verse 6 it says for to us a child is born and to us a son is given The Messiah will be a wonderful counselor, one who is familiar with our suffering and pain and who will come alongside of us. He will be the mighty God who conquers our greatest enemy of sin and death and shame once and for all. He will be the everlasting father that pays the price for our adoption to bring us in as sons and daughters And he will be the prince of peace who brings us peace with God through the forgiveness of our sin and restores our relationship with the Father once and for all. And how will God's chosen one, the Messiah, do this? It's through atonement. But no longer will it be the people sacrificing animals. It will be the Father sacrificing his Son. A son that would be born to take the punishment for our sin and carry the weight of our guilt and our shame. Looking into the future, the prophet Isaiah writes these words in chapter 53, our our core verse for the week. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. These words written in in past tense, bring an image of Jesus even though they were written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And they tell of the coming Messiah who will lay down his life for ours, who will be the sacrificial and the scapegoat. He will take our sin and take our place and pay the price that we could not pay so that we could be made one with God yet again. See, Scripture teaches that because of our sin, we are separated from God. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of our sin, the payment that our sin deserves is the death of that lamb. But Jesus, the lamb of God, bore our sin on the cross and took the punishment that we deserved And there's now peace with God that is available to anyone who puts their faith and their hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus covered the debt that we could not pay and he closed the gap between us and God. He allowed himself to be wounded so that we could be healed, so that our relationship with God could be restored. That is the beauty of this season. That is the beauty of the Christmas message. And the truth is is that every single one of us, we have gone our own way. We have done our own thing. We have tried to take God's rightful place in our life and in the lives of others. We have added to the brokenness and the pain of others and in this world that God laid on Jesus all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame. And now by grace, we can be forgiven and we can enjoy a relationship with our Father. And so what does that mean for us today? And two quick things as we wrap up. First, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to trust him for your forgiveness, if you've never identified with his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, and that is your next step, and we invite you to take it even today. Grace is love that paid a price And the price of God's love for you is his son, a price that he willingly paid to redeem what sin has stolen, to restore what sin has broken, to renew what sin has destroyed. And he offers that gift to you as a free gift of grace. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It does not matter what you have done. God's love is welcoming you back to relationship with him. Jesus lived and died and lives again so that you can experience new life and a fresh start. And if you're ready to receive that free gift, the greatest gift of all, we are ready to help you make that step. And there'll be some of us up here that would love to talk with you and pray with you this morning. And for those of us who have united ourselves with Christ and his atoning work on the cross, what does that mean for us? Well, I think what it means is a couple of things. One, there's no room for pride. (laughs) because we know what we deserve and yet it is by grace we have been saved, not through works. And so there's no boasting, there's no pride. It is God's love for us that has redeemed us and set us free. And I think now too, we take the grace that you've received in Christ and you extend it to others. See, Jesus doesn't just bring us peace in our relationship with God, he brings us peace in our relationship with others. Nothing has a way of bringing stress into our lives like relationships. In fact, I imagine right now you can probably think of at least one relationship that is causing you a little bit of stress. Maybe you're even going to see them here in the next week or so. (laughs) But as our Prince of Peace, Jesus is able to renew and restore that relationship that's causing you stress. And at the very least, he's able to give you peace and comfort as you navigate it and The strength not to say something stupid. (laughs) He's with us. He's for us. And he helps us take the, the forgiveness that we have received and extend it to others. Paul says it like this in Colossians chapter three. Therefore, as God's chosen As we clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness, we learn how to bear with one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven us through Jesus. Grace absolutely changes everything for everyone, and it's available to us because of a child who was born to carry the weight of our sin and to pay the price that we deserve. He was born to be our sacrificial scapegoat, so that we could be at one with God again. Why don't you stand with me? Then I'll close us off in prayer. God, thanks for the joy and the beauty of the, the Christmas message, which really is the gospel, that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to be sin for us so that in him we might be in right relationship with you and it's not because of anything that we've done but it is because of the extravagant love that you have for us that when you see us in our guilt and shame like a loving father you come and you rescue us from it and so father for the person that's here this morning that maybe has never embraced that that maybe has never put their faith in you father I pray that today will be the day that they accept that gift and they start following Jesus For those of us who that atoning work has has done its thing, let it, Lord, continue to work inside of us to extend what we have been given so freely to others. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for that gift. And thank you for the message of hope that we lean into, especially during this time of year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.